I have found teaching OKRs to an executive is not about teaching OKRs. It's about helping the executive understand their role in the system, helping the executive understand that their, their force multiplier is to create a trusted system that works. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. Andrew Young is here today. Andrew, thanks for taking time out of your Friday afternoon. Of course, Dave. Excited to be here and chat about something that I've been exploring a lot on. Yeah, so we're going to talk about teaching OKRs to executives, which I'm going to let Andrew tell you a little bit more about the topic and how it relates to some other stuff we've been talking about. But before we do that, Andrew, can you um, share with the folks that are listening, the work that you do at Leading Agile, I know there's like a specific focus to it. So maybe kind of how you ended up pursuing that area that you're, you're so kind of locked into. Yeah, Dave. Um, so I'm here at Leading Agile. We have a couple different flavors of coaching. And historically, we've been around, you know, the system of delivery. How do you create stability and increase your throughput and focus on advancing what we, what we might refer to as like the machine or the factory? And one of the things that the industry has seen is that there's a layer of once the factory is going, what's coming into the factory and out of the factory has to be improved as well. And so at Leading Agile, we have this uh, subcluster of, of people called the product practice where we're focused on how do we advance what's coming in and going out of the machine. And, you know, that's kind of where I spent my time. And one of the topics around today's conversation is around how do we decide value? How do we define value? And value historically might have been measured on dollar amount or a cost savings amount or the number of new logos that you can do. And there's this kind of amorphic definition of value that we're, we're really looking at. How do we clarify that with our executives all the way down to the team so that we can help make better prioritization decisions? I come from a little bit of like a design background. I didn't write code, but I came from this like systems thinking problem solving lens. It's what can be optimized to increase value. So I want to, before we get into the topic, I want to ask you a question about that because when I'm teaching the PO classes, a lot of people ask me like, you know, how do I get better at this job? How do I become, you know, like a ninja-ish person in this job? And it seems like everybody I know, at least everybody at Leading Agile, that's really heavy into this stuff, maybe with the exception of Scott, like straight out of design background. Is that normal? I mean, is like that what you find across the board or is that just a Leading Agile? Well, so, I mean, you're, you got a selection bias you're starting with. And, you know, I, I have a, a premise and a belief and an assumption and a hope and a desire that, yeah, designers are going to run our businesses of tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to leverage this, this skill set that's being taught in design school or, and, you know, I substitute design school and product management right now because we don't have product management school, but we see a high correlation between designers and product managers. And it's the, ability to assess the system, not the solution. And designers, you know, they're forced through critique all the time. It's not good enough. Are you solving for the customer? Are you building a thing that's going to resonate with somebody who's not you? Most designers don't design for themselves. And I think that's the really fascinating part of this is designers from day one are taught you're not your consumer. And that lens is really important in this progression of value. It's what's going to be valuable for the people paying us money or signing up for our service. It's about solving the right problems for the right people. And odds are you're not one of them. And I think that's that like nugget there that, that designers intrinsically come to the business with. So in that, and it's, I just want to check in with you on this. It seems to me like 
if you are design minded, right, it doesn't matter whether what kind of design you're working on. It could be websites, motorcycles. You could be just studying Edward Tufty stuff, like anything where you're trying to make sure that you understand who the person is, what they actually need and how to give them what they need, as opposed to just deciding and executing. Yeah. And that's a great reference. The Tufty reference, uh, you know, we could throw Fuller in there as well. Design is just problem solving, right? So I've historically taught at Georgia Tech a little bit, some design thinking courses. And I use this boilerplate definition is that design is just solving problems within constraints. And the more constraints you have, the harder it is to solve the problem, but the more creative you have to be. And so is it organizational design? Is it website design? Is it graphic design? Am I focused on a poster? Am I focused on a process? Am I focused on an organization? It's all rooting out of the same stuff. You know, I highly correlate um, Six Sigma mindset into this space. I think about influence in this space. You know, our trust influence loop at Leading Agile is just an application of design. What problem do we need to solve and how do we do it? Well, we create the opportunity. We then show that we can do it. We then gain some influence and, and have a point of view, right? We just go through that loop over and over and over again. It's just a design problem. And so it, to your point, you know, I think you cleanly identified all of the stuff we're going to talk about today roots back to stuff that was happening in the 50s. It roots back to the way Disney thought about how he was going to create the Disney theme parks. It thinks about Ford and how people claim they just wanted a faster horse, but what they really wanted was a way to get somewhere faster. So if you ask somebody about the solution, they're going to tell you what they think they want, and we're not actually going to emerge the advancement. And so you can kind of like throw in the word innovation, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but the progressive elaboration we talk about is all just rooted in what are my constraints and what's the problem and who's going to pay for it. Okay. And I want to mention one thing about the constraints too, because it sounds like this is very much like that Jocko Willenick, like good thing, like whatever, whatever box they put you in good. Cause I get a lot of people in class who talk about how they can't do this. They can't do that. And I always want to be like, good, like good, do it anyway, figure out a way that's your whole job, whether you're designing a product or a way to make agile work in your organization. Right. That's exactly right. I, I think that, the box or the size of box you can play with um, influences the other boxes you will eventually get to play with. And so you're right. Maybe you can't reinvent the whole organization, but you have a set of constraints you can play with them to build the best version within the constraints. And then over time, you gain agency, you gain traction, you gain influence to change the box you're playing with. And you know, that, if you look at my career, that's what it was. I started off uh, designing posters and kids' toys and kids' books but it was the same process. It was the same mindset. It was the same procedural advancements that I would go through to make sure that the customer was getting what they needed and it wasn't for me. And then that moved into web experiences, end-to-end experiences, customer journeys. We started thinking about how do you start um, from the first touch point of a customer to the last touch point of a customer. You might need a poster and a customer service interaction and a way for them to interact with you and a follow-up chain, but we're still just designing an experience. And then what do you need once you get over the experience? You need an organization to offer that. And then once you have the organizational solution or the business model, you need to then build a system that people can live within. And, and, you know, that's where we're playing with this transformation stuff is it's not just about the systems and practices to deliver the output. It's about making sure that you have employees that stay with you, that you retain the knowledge management systems, that you retain, you know, the intellectual property. Because if that's an attrition point as well, you're constantly having to reinvent 
the process of people and you're not even focused on the outputs anymore. So it's all the same um, domain space. It's just the different execution and, and, and actualization you're focused on. This is, uh, this is this podcast is already great, man. There's nowhere to go but down from here. Well, I was going to say, and we might have just totally changed the, the focus of the podcast. It, it's gonna, I, you know, we'll I gave me, I've got together. notes. We're going to do more. I've got a whole bunch of notes now of stuff I want to ask you about. But let's go back to the main topic. So the main topic we we're going to focus on was how to teach OKRs to executives. And before we go down that path, I'm hoping that maybe you can clarify what OKRs are. Because I hear people talk about them, and I hear them talk about KPIs, and I know that some people mix the two things up. And the old school project manager in me, when I hear them, thinks about balanced scorecard. So what is an OKR? Yeah. So by definition, uh, OKR are three letters that are clustered into two words. It's an objective and a key result. Uh, what they are synonymous with is you know, some of the things, or possibly synonymous with, or poorly substituted for, is maybe the way I would say it. Uh, is a goal, is a KPI, is a balanced scorecard, is performance management, it's a way to measure, it's um, the leading and leading indicators, it's the outcomes, it's the manifestations. You know, I hear all of those different things. But when I pause and really think about O and the KR, it's two units of a framework where we give something aspirational, an objective, a place we want to go, a direction we're heading, something we want to actualize, and then some key results. How are we going to measure we're getting there? How are we going to make sure we have a checks and balances system in place to get us there? When we think about uh, maybe how some people have referenced OKRs before, there's a couple different lenses or maybe a maturity model of, of ways people have implemented OKRs. When I think about the ways that I was taught OKRs and some of my early references, I think back to it's a way to say no, and it's a way to empower us to stay focused. And so you know, I love this phrase that if you don't have a priority, but you have many priorities, you actually don't have a priority. So if everything's the number one priority, you actually don't have a number one priority. That's what this objective and key result system is focused on is what's the most important thing to keep our and at whatever level of the organization we're focused on focused. So as an organization, what's our primary objective? What are we investing into? Where do we need to go? How do we need to get there? And then maybe there's a network of OKRs in the organization that say, okay, to help us actualize that big objective, that's going to take a whole bunch of cogs and nuggets and pieces to come together. What do we need to focus on? Be it a functional team, be it a product line, be it an individual person. Right? There's hundreds of ways to implement this, but it's, you know, what's the one thing I'm focused on right now? And it allows me to look at my day or my week or my team and say, of all the work we're working on, is any of this actually helping us progress towards that objective? And are we keeping score appropriately with these key results? Do we have any impact of the outputs we've created over the past day, week, month? Have we made progressions on those key results? If not, are we focused on the wrong stuff? And how do we then get focused on the right stuff? Okay. I have a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you about this stuff right now. But um, before I start riddling you with questions, um, 
can you comment on the evolution of this? Because this is not like a brand new thing. It's not, it, it's not something that emerged from leading, ad, leading Agile. It's something that's been around for a bit and we've kind of applied it maybe in a different way or put it together in a different formula. But um, this approach has been proven out in a number of different locations. Yeah, you know, I, there's this common cycle of, of frameworks and management practices that, that kind of ebb and flow in and out. I think about a sine wave of, you know, they're popular and then a group of people say, well, that's not the popular one. It's going to be this. And then we introduce something new and we then introduce something new. And what we've seen with the OKR reference and, and the legacy and genesis of OKRs is, you know, most people in today's world are, you know, getting some anchoring around the Google version of them, the Google story. John Dewar has the book, uh, Measure What Matters, that's kind of glorified or, or helped people understand how we can leverage these things. But he didn't invent it either. Before that, we had Andy Grove, who took this kind of management-based approach, uh, management by objectives model at Intel, uh, in the 70s, you know, that was a, a reference back to what OKRs emerged from, but it was called management by objective. And, you know, Andy wasn't either the genesis of this either. It kind of referenced all the way back to Drucker in the 50s. He started thinking about this goal setting by strategy called management by objectives as well. So you see this evolution uh, of thinking in the 50s, Drucker, Goal setting, he used the term goal and setting, and how are we going to actualize that? We're going to manage to objectives. In the 70s, Andy Grove reintroduced some of the concepts, and he took management by objectives into Intel and really actualized that through some of the OKR model. And then it inspired Dewar, who was at Intel, to really take it further. And then in the 90s, Dewar wrote the book uh, that kind of explicitly called out the O and the KR methodology that Google leveraged. And now we're seeing this new uh, genesis of, okay, how do you take what Google or what the Valley did and these startups that came hyper-focused on the thing that they had to do to stay surviving as an organization today, tomorrow, this month, next month, and how do you exploit that into the enterprise? And so we're seeing this new genesis of OKR at scale in the enterprise. And and a lot of the organizations that have you know they've come out of the startup space or moved over into agile, this is another tool they use to sharpen their approach. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a high correlation to to the startups leverage the agile mindset or the agile frameworks, and they've kind of exploited it. We've seen the attraction of startup employees to help scale enterprises. This is just one of the things they're bringing out of their toolbox or their tool bag or their, their tool belt and kit to say, this is how we found success in execution. Okay. Now, you mentioned scaling. Is this something that is being more focused on by organizations that are trying to come up with ways to be efficient at scale, or is it equally applied across all sizes of organizations? So I think it's equally applied across all organizations, right? It's a, it's a tool to help you focus. Okay. Um, I think we're seeing some new literature and some further thinking um, in today's world about the failures of trying to scale the OKR model. Okay. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to really stay away from some of the maturity where it's not a hierarchy, but a network. We're trying to decouple things. How do you create containers of encapsulation, right? A term we use all the time. If I have an encapsulated thing, well, what do I point them at? Do I point them at a business objective? Do I point them at a strategy? Do I point them at execution? Well, let's give them a purpose. 
and you know, you know, another whole set of terms that we haven't even correlated to OKRs, North Star, my purpose, my guiding light, where I'm running towards, all of these different lenses, um, just as a quantifiable way to do that. And we're just now seeing a lot of exploration as to why they might be failing in enterprise. And I think leading agile, you know, we come from it in terms of you still got to have that system of delivery. You still got to have that execution arm that can really focus on actualizing the stuff. But we got to help them shape where they're going. And this is just a natural evolution for us is to helping point to aligning the North Stars. Okay. So I want to try to simplify it for a second and then ask a bunch more questions and then talk about how it ties back to the LA approach. Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. Just in sort of a path, because there's, a, there's, I, I want to keep myself from getting too lost in the weeds. So, when you were explaining how this works earlier, I was thinking, okay, so this is basically like a bunch of executives sitting around saying, "This is the one thing we have to do, and we're all going to agree to do the one thing." And everyone says, "Yes, the one thing," and they leave the retreat center and go back to the little fiefdoms and like, yeah, "Screw the one thing, I got to get my thing done." Um, the North Star, whatever you want to call it, that's the one thing. Like this is the most important thing right now. You could say that the most important thing is to come up with a vaccine for COVID. Would that, does that work? Well, um, so I fumble on my words for a second. I think about um, one of the first things I do when, when we think about coaching, this is context is important. Okay. And what I say is right for organization a in terms of what a good objective or key results or OKR framework looks like might be completely wrong for context B. So, so knowing that like people love a framework, people love a, give me the plug and play the Mad Libs. And I would love to say OKRs are maturing to a place where we have some plug and play stuff, but it's not a Mad Libs. And, And so it's first off, What's our context? What's our importance? Um, why were we at that retreat? Wh- wh- who are we? And so there's a couple of common examples that I use that aren't even related to the software um, that might be relevant here. And so yeah, I say, great. you know what? If I'm a coffee shop owner, a uh, local little coffee shop, independent guy, have you know my building on the corner, and I, I have an intrinsic driver that I only ever want to sell coffee. And, you know, we're a coffee shop. We're going to be the premium coffee shop. Okay, that's our mission. And what is our objective right now? It's what do we need to do to stay in business or grow or go to where we're going? And so if if our current conditions say, you know what, we're not creating enough revenue to to even break profitability. Our objective is to find profitability. That's the top, you know, objective right here is everybody, we got to figure out anything we can do to achieve profitability. At the same time, what we're doing is creating the curbs of decisions and autonomy for the rest of the organization. So if I have a tension here of this belief as an owner that says, I'm only ever going to be a coffee shop, don't do anything besides coffee, also achieve profitability. And so I has in the organization, I've created the tension that says, don't go do something that's not coffee, but find profitability. So if it's around coffee, make find profitability. So that might say a group of people in the organization say, we have a good way to find profitability. Let's sell coffee merchandise as opposed to just coffee, or let's sell coffee t-shirts, or let's sell coffee books, or let's sell coffee beans, or let's sell coffee classes. It's all around the domain of coffee. But if somebody were to come in and say, you know what we have, and this is a, this is a, a real common thing that happens in our software systems. 
I have a whole bunch of customers that come through our door and they say, you know what, we'd also really love tea. But if, if I just say, go ahead and go do the tea, I have this tension I'm breaking. I'm achieving possibly the profitability, but I broke my mission. Yeah. And so as we're, we're in this tension, the, the value of the OKR is to give enough context so that people can make independent encapsulated decisions in service of where we need to go. So maybe that objective, maybe the bit more mature version of that objective is to find profitability with enhancing the coffee business, but nothing but coffee. Because if I don't create those conditions, it's going to empower the people because that's what we're, we're hoping for here is empowerment. Go figure out the best thing. You're the closest to the customer. You know our domain the best. I, executive, know where I need us to go, but I might not talk to all the customers and I'm maybe one, two, three, four orders away from a customer. Let's empower the people that are at the customer to influence where we need to go. Okay. I worked at the first Starbucks in New York City when it opened. And when it opened, all we sold was coffee, nothing else. I think coffee and tea um, and, and lots of beans. You could buy every kind of bean. We had bins full of beans, but no food was served. And that was like a thing they were super snotty about. Like Starbucks is about educating people about coffee. Food interferes with the taste. We're not going to have that. And then a couple weeks in, they brought in bagels because they said New Yorkers couldn't handle coffee without bagels. And then it was bagels and muffins and bagels and other kinds of pastries. And then it was candy bars. And now like you can go to Starbucks and not have any coffee at all. Just get like a salad and a milkshake. Um, if the mission of the company was to deliver good coffee and teach people about coffee and they realized that it didn't work in that particular environment and that continues to spread, does that mean that they're losing sight of their mission or is the mission changing? Or is yeah, that the context a, you're talking about? Well, it's the context and it's a, it's a great example to think about uh, something Dennis, our methodologist really talks about in the, the trusted system. And where we go from markets to customers to what are their problems, what are our targeted solutions, and how do we design them and then implement them? And there's this evolution. And as we learn, and one of the things we're trying to do with uh, not just OKRs, but you know everything we're doing with our transformation work is make smaller bets and learn. And so some of our key results are just about learning cycles. And if one of our objectives in that first Starbucks example was to be focused on the coffee, and the only way you can sell coffee is with a bagel in the context, well, we have to now make a decision. Are we going to evolve our objective to say something around creating an environment around coffee, or do we now need to change our objective to say New York was the wrong place, even though it's a high-density population, it's not aligned as the customers we want. And so one of the things OKRs are going to help us with is find clarity into who, and the who there is markets and customers, do we need to be closely tied to? And so there's always this tension of feedback loops and learnings from assumptions and how we can evolve them. And so unlike goal setting frameworks, OKRs are dynamic or have the potential to be dynamic. So right? we could end up having the conversation of, do we want our mission to be to educate people about coffee, to just sell coffee, to provide people with uh, an enjoyable experience or take over the world and be, you know, on as many corners in New York as we are in Seattle. That's yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm going back through, uh, watching on our lockdown here. I'm watching Silicon Valley again. 
And I just rehit the episodes where they're talking about Pied Piper and the focus of like, what is the product? And the claim is it's, it's whatever the stock market needs it to be or our shareholders want it to be so that we can be profitable. And well, that's, that's very our, lean startup though, right? Yeah. And, and so if that's our focus, right, and our mission and our top objective, let's just be explicit about it. If our driver here is to make as much money as we can and whatever means possible, we might have competing and or divergent markets, customers, and products. Okay, that's reasonable, but I have to know that from the beginning. And where we then choose to invest our money and where we place our bets is we just the similar way we have a backlog of features and stories and epics. At some point, we're going to end up with a stack rank prioritization list of objectives. And that group of executives we talked about that came out of the retreat, they're going to have to come out with the one or two. And so the process of executing what objective we pick, because we're going to have hundreds of objectives. Everybody and their brother has an opinion about what the right objective is. Right. And so there's the difference of what is the purpose of the framework, enabling the organization to achieve and actualize, and then how we execute the framework and how we populate the content in the framework. Right. And so there's, you know, now we're getting into like the nuances of execution because there's also two different or layers of maturity with the OKR of, are they top down or bottom up? Are they middle out? Right. All of those versions are appropriate based off the conditions we've established. So we can do a top down deployment, which, you know, isn't maybe as mature as the model of sensing, responding all the feedbacks from the products and the teams of where we need them to go to achieve our bigger objective. Okay. So if our objective was to send a man to the moon and return him safely within 10 years, how would we measure the key results along the way? Like, how do you get from that big wish to we're making the appropriate progress towards that? Yeah, and is that, is that a fair example? Well, so, um, it's if not, okay. we can come up with another one. It's an okay example. I'm going to bring it down to a personal level um, okay. and know that this could scale into an enterprise. But what you introduced there in the big notion of, of duration of 10 years and a man on the moon is something that's big and grandiose. Okay, so to do that, do I want to just wait? And we're going to introduce the concept of leading the lagging indicators here now. Do I just want to wait 10 years to see if we did it? No, I want to measure progress toward right. it. So I think about a similar example of, Somebody tells me they want to lose 20 pounds. My objective is to lose 20 pounds. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. But why? And so if you've ever interacted with some of these designers or some of these uh, product people who are like the five-year-old little kid tugging on your shirt, but why, but why, but why? <laughs> That's what we're looking for here with some of this OKR work is, but why do you want to lose 20 pounds? Because what that really sounds like to me is an outcome. And there's a difference in our maturity model of OKRs between objective an outcome. Okay. The outcome, and I think about football teams, there's a lot of uh, examples around the sports ball teams uh, metaphors with OKRs, but winning the Super Bowl kind of is an outcome. But the number of touchdowns you score and the number of points you score, right, those are lagging indicators mm -hmm. of success. So this 20-pound thing, my first question is, is, why do you want to lose 20 pounds? And maybe it's a mother and she says, well, it's so that I can – run in the park. Right. Well, why do you want to run in the park? Well, because I enjoy spending time with my daughter. Well, what does that really mean to you? Well, I want a healthier lifestyle so I can enjoy my child's upbringing in an outdoor fashion. Okay. There's an aspirational objective. That sounds like an objective. Find a way to spend time with my kid in the park outside and enjoy it. 
And it just so happens our hypothesis outcome is that I need to lose 20 pounds to do that. Right. But one of our big things that we've learned with our clients is there's a lack of ability to what we call trim the tail. And if I'm so focused on the losing the 20 pounds and I lose sight of the objective of having fun with my kid in the park, I might not ever go have fun with my kid in the park if I'm only losing 18 pounds. But 18 pounds might have been the right number for me, and I just didn't know it from the beginning. And so in this example, what are my key results of being able to do that? Well, my early hypothesis key results might be eat 1,000 less calories every day. And so I have a hypothesis that if I eat 1,000 less calories, I'm going to be well on my way to losing my desired outcome of 20 pounds, all in service of that objective to be able to play with my kid in the park or ride my bike with my kid. I might also say, okay, one of the ways I think I'm going to measure this is I'm going to start going to the gym. And if I at least just get to the gym three days a week, so my next key result is get to the gym three days a week. And then, you know, maybe that last one, uh, key results. So we talked about eating less calories. We talked about going to the gym. Maybe one of them is also just choosing to have a more centered outdoor lifestyle. And so maybe a key result is I go on a walk every evening with my husband. And so when I think about these key results, I'm going to start looking at these on a short-term basis. I can measure those and I can look and do an assessment on a weekly basis. Did I hold myself accountable as a leading indicator to these things? And maybe I do. And maybe I do eat a thousand less calories and I have hit the gym consistently for the past month, three days a week, and I have gone on these walks, but I'm not seeing any progress towards my desired outcome. Well, this is the beauty of the key results is there could be dynamic. Maybe our hypothesis was wrong. Maybe it takes 1200 calories. And so we're going to adjust it. And we're going to take another small bet of something we're going to test. And maybe it's five days a week we need to get to the gym. Right. And so now we can be... Um, having some sort of progressive elaboration of how we're approaching this. But all of the units of work we're going to do, each day we have the reminder to go to the gym, that's like an initiative or a yeah. task. Okay, and so I can just start tracking the outputs, and the output is go to the gym, go to the gym, go to the gym, eat less calorie, eat less calorie, eat less calorie. I can track all of those. But just tracking outputs is insufficient. I just track that I went to the gym, I'm actually not measuring my impact towards my objective. Okay. But so I have a couple of things I want to ask about this. I want to start with that last one. So let's say somebody is trying to lose weight and they weigh themselves every day and they keep a record of that every day. And you can say the weighing yourself every day isn't going to necessarily drive a result, but there are those, you know, that, that one approach where you're supposed to put a scale in front of the refrigerator and weigh yourself before you take food out of the refrigerator. And it is a subtle chip at like takes a dig at your motivation. Like, why am I getting this food? Do I need this food? Do I need to have this? Is it more important to me than this thing that I want to lose weight? Um, is that, is just measuring it enough, sometimes enough of a reminder to keep people headed in the right direction? Absolutely. And when we think about it, it's, well, how did, who, who chose in that OKR, assume we're in a big enterprise again, who chose in that OKR structure, those key results? Well, it's probably not the executive. It's the person closest to the customer. And so if the person closest to that style of customer says for this customer segment or persona, these are the leading indicators we need. And for this persona, it's just getting them on a daily scale. That key result of did you just measure yourself every day is a leading indicator. For some people, that is not a leading indicator. That's going to be their lagging indicator because the scale isn't a motivator for them. And so okay. we're going to create those conditions of key results 
And this is where I, you know, when we started this said, conditions are going to look different. And what I say is good for you might be a bad example for somebody else. Right. And, you know, and this is the, the situation on this is, is if my key result can't be, um, if my key result only measures when I'm done, it's a lagging indicator and I don't know until I'm done. And what I don't want to do is wait until I'm done to know if I'm done or not. Okay. So with what you just said, my example of 10 years to the moon and back is the way it's the way that people tell that story, the way that I introduced that story potentially is, is not a good example because if I was totally waterfall, which is how I was raised, I say 10 years, this is going to happen. And I, and I need to see a plan, but I don't really look at anything until 10 years is up. And we have no idea if we can do that in 10 years, if we're not checking along the way and iterating along the way on, this is the indicator. This is the thing we thought was going to move the needle. Did it move the needle enough? Okay, let's try something else. The scale in front of the fridge is okay, but maybe we need to add something else to that and something else to that. And then we figure out how to have the biggest improvements to get us to the goal that we have, as opposed to just waiting. That's a reasonable um, presentation, Dave. And I think... (laughs) Your product guys are so polite with my bad examples. There's always (laughs) a long pause and then like, yeah, okay. (laughs) My first like desire to ask you, and I'm going to connect this now to like what's unique about the executive, right? We had this uh, teaching OKRs to executive in the title. And so let's let's bring that in. Okay. Okay. Executive tells me we got to get this man on the moon in 10 years. Yeah, I first want to say, but why? What, yeah, what that was going to be my next question. Okay, go ahead. Well, yeah, what do we want to do when we get the man on the moon? What's yeah. the value of getting the man on the moon? And play so, golf. To, oh, to play golf. Okay, so <laughs> now I'm going to say, why do I want a man on the moon to play golf? And as we start to decompose this, the difference between teaching OKRs to, a, to an, a, a, an executive and to my product manager or my uh, enterprise architect or my front-end developer is a lot of executives have a command by directive approach. Go build this thing because I have either some crazy suspicion or some historical data or just some crazy desire. And the value of the OKR and teaching the OKR to the, to the executive is it's not about what to go do. It's what can we do once we're there? So once we're on the moon, why did we want to go to the moon? Is it, if it's purely just an ego play, show we can put another man on the moon. Okay, let's be explicit about that. The, the true objective, when you tell me the whole objective is just to get the man on the moon and I have no desires post getting the man on the moon, we check it, we're done. The outcome was the man on the moon. And so that's what I'm going to first ask is your outcome is really just the man on the moon. It's not something greater. It's not the next evolution. It's not that this isn't a part of a bigger network of desires because if it is just getting the man on the moon isn't sufficient, right? If I, I, I'm I'm going to be dark here for a second, but like, uh, does does the man have to be alive? Because you just said put a man on the moon. Well, and so the the reason this is, I think, a good example is you said that why question, because it's not really about the moon. It's about beating Russia into space and getting to the moon before Russia. Yeah. And And so if you ask why, then we get into the whole thing about, you know, whatever patriotic stuff is going on. But there's got to be some reason at the end that people don't even bother to ask most of the time. 
Correct. And, and those little nuggets are really important because it changes the frame in which the teams will work. The sequence that they work, the micro validations that they need to prove to get to the big validation. The I'll use the term milestone, but I'm not using it in like a, a old projects timeline sequence. But what are the the validations we have to prove? The milestones we have to declare to be able to do that, right? And so when we think about historically man on the moon, if we're talking about our first man on the moon, we first had to like have an objective that we can launch a thing into space. Like, and that's our big objective right now is can we get a thing in this space? And our outcome is do it without killing somebody, do it without it blowing up, do it with yeah. in this time frame. Okay, so we've accomplished that. And so we're making a smaller bet because what I first want to, if my big objective is man on the moon, and I make a smaller bet, just prove to me you can get something in space. And if we come back and say, you know what, that's not feasible, that's not reasonable, we have two choices to make abandon the original objective. Right. In place of the next most important objective to invest our money in. So we stop bleeding money or go find more money, go find new resources, go find the right conditions so we can put the man on the moon. Everything's possible. And that's what's you know, fascinating and fun with executives is I don't run into an executive that doesn't have a good idea. It might be dated. It might take more time. It might be more difficult. It might take resources they don't have yet, but you know what? We can get there. The question is, is are you willing to invest into that the same way we think about a backlog? I'm going to say yes to this until we have something more valuable. Well, my objective, this is just scaling up, and I, I'm ginger on the way I think about this because I just don't want to take backlog prioritization um, the way that we teach it in a system of delivery and say, well, that's how you create OKRs because there is an intersection between the way we coach the system of delivery to deliver and what they're going to focus in the delivering on. There's at some point an overlap between how you prioritize your backlog or how you run your impact map or how you run your prioritization processes connected to objectives. And okay. these objectives now become um, part of that weighted matrix. If I use your term balance scorecard, I think about like, how do I choose what, what goes into it? It's well, what's going to help me actualize my backlog has to help me actualize creating the business objective. Okay. And, and so I threw the term business objective in now because I'm thinking about a large enterprise. Yeah. We're going to have business objectives at the top, strategic objectives. We're going to have some functional objectives kind of in that network. And then a product might have an objective. Maybe the objective for this product is just business as usual. Okay. Maybe for that product, it's become the new competitive advantage for the organization. Wow. Okay. And so now we're going to have this network of objectives that all have to piece together that when we zoom out on our monthly review, our quarterly review, our annual review, say, if we go do all of this network of stuff that our organization is telling us that we can do all of these objectives, will we get to where we want to go? And if we say yes, we got to let the system go. If we say no, is it because we have the wrong people? Do we have the wrong allocation makeup? Or do we have just an impractical objective at this point? Right. Okay. So I want to ask you a question about this and see if I can thread this back to transformation and the leading agile approach. And then I want to come back to executives and what makes it unique to teach it to them. Let's see if this, if this works, if I can get to a why, then not only do I have a better understanding of how to make adjustments to get me closer to where I say I want to go, but it's also going to be easier for me to make choices about what I'm willing to sacrifice and give up. 
And the parallel that I see with transformation would be an organization says, I want to be agile. And if they can't answer why, it's going to be really hard for them to make hard choices about, okay, what are they willing to give up to get that encapsulation, to get cross-functional teams, to get work broken down into these you know smaller pieces and to get it all decoupled and all that stuff. If they don't know why they're chasing the thing, what is the outcome they're looking for? And they can't decide what they're willing to do to get there. Correct. It goes into the the whole transformation concept of understanding your trade-offs. And that's exactly, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't have said it any better, Dave. That was a beautiful explanation of helping someone understand the trade-offs you have to make at any given point to achieve what you want to achieve. Okay. So if you had this conversation with, thank you for saying that. So I always get nervous when I talk to you guys, cause I feel like I'm the, like the slow one. Um, when you're talking with executives about this stuff and they want the thing, but they don't know why they want the thing. How does the fact that they're in this leadership role, like how, how do you get to the point with OKRs where they're seeing where they really need to be focusing their decision-making and where they're seeing the questions they need to be answering and where they're seeing what kind of stuff that they're going to have to measure? It goes into teaching OKRs, and this is where the difference between teaching OKRs to an executive and to the team members uh, really splits. I have found teaching OKRs to an executive is not about teaching OKRs. It's about helping the executive understand their role in the system, helping the executive understand that their, their force multiplier is to create a trusted system that works to focus on improving the system and giving a direction for the system and letting the system figure out how to optimize towards that. You know, one of the things that we find over and over and over again with executives is they found success by having answers, right? right? And what we help them do as an executive in terms of this bigger transformation that we're going through, because we're probably not just going in and just saying, yeah, you guys need some OKRs and you'll be better with OKRs. It's a, it's about that whole practices and systems we're instilling during the transformation that we're also going in and saying, you know what? It's really important to connect people with purpose. It's all about a ripple effect. The more people that have purpose, the more inspiration you have, the closer they are to customer, the more conversation they have. It's not just a cog in a machine trying to deliver an output, but we're all inventing, we're all brainstorming, we're all thinking about the outcomes. And when an executive just says, go build the green paper airplane machine, as opposed to we need to figure out how to win in the airplane paper machine, paper airplane market the best possible, we take that ownership away from teams. We take that ownership away from the system. And when we do that, we take away the ability to be creative, to put the constraints in. We've actually put too many constraints in. And so we talked earlier about like this idea of like constraints are a good thing until you're over-constrained. And if I don't feel empowered to have the right conversations to provide feedback, we're running off of assumptions that are so far disconnected from the customer or the problem or the market or the the segment that we're trying to address that we're running on assumptions. And so with executives, we're really focused on this OKR thing is about empowering the organization. That's about learning and creating a learning system that you're focused on building the system, not playing in the system. It's your role as an executive to create the conditions for all of these, you know, you, I, 
we assume you hired good, strong, talented people that were able to do the job, but yet we're not letting them always do the job that we hired them to do. We asked a product manager to manage a product, to decide where it goes, what functions, what features. We asked product owners to go talk to customers. What will this solution work? Does this solve your problem? We ask engineers to say, what's the best way to architect this thing for scale and for scalability of time and space and um, load of people on our systems. And if we take all that away and say, go build the green thing that can do a thousand paper airplanes every day, all we're asking people to do is just be an executing arm. And at some point that the knowledge transfer gets lost and that knowledge gap gets so big that executives are only running on assumptions that are not connected to reality. Yeah, I did an interview with Marty Bradley not that long ago where he tells a story about um, a guy that he worked with and he told the guy, like, build the green paper airplane and because that's what Marty had decided the solution was. And the guy came back and asked Marty a bunch of questions and Marty's solution was going to take like months and months and months. And this guy figured out a different way to solve the problem that didn't involve building the paper airplane and it took like two days. Yeah, it's crazy because the thing we coach with these executives is, technology is moving faster than you can keep up with. Yeah. Let the people that are close to the technology, and I use the term technology, there's all encompassing uh, progressive elaboration of, of how we think and how we execute, but let those people, because they know more than you know, and your one mind locked in a room is not as good as the thousands of minds you have on the front line. Despite what their ego tells them. So, <laughs> Despite what their ego and their, their tie and their suit and their uh, yeah. you know, beautifully watch. Yeah, their mahogany wooded wall boardroom. Like <laughs> all of those things are great. And we need these leaders because here's the other thing. If you flip it around and you give a team all empowerment to make all decisions, they're not going to be aligned. And so there's different tiers, right? You think back to our transformation model, we have the, the four tiers or five tiers or three tiers based off the organization. There's a different level of responsibility at each of those tiers. Yeah. Some people are focused on solutions. Some people are focused on direction. I don't have the capacity first most, and I probably don't have the capability to do all of it really good. It's that like uh, Jack of uh, all, all trades, master of none. Yeah. Well, let's create masters of things. And as an executive, with the OKR, your mastering skill here is, can you set clarity that helps you achieve the assumptions you want to achieve with the least amount of investment as possible so you can then keep having exp a desired exponential growth? So I imagine that when you're teaching this to executives, a big part of this also is going to involve creating a space where they feel safe enough to unclench and let go of the wheel and to trust that the, the people that are down there in the weeds of doing the thing every day who actually understand all the tech behind it, that they'll make sound decisions. And all that's going to be predicated on this executive being super clear about where are we trying to get to and why. Yeah, it's the trust thing is really important. The other thing is, is these executives, and I say that like a negative, like those executives. Uh, those people. Yeah, those people. The, they're people, right? And that's the, the nugget here. It's like everybody wants purpose and connection and value. And what they're protecting is the organization. And we have to remember at the end of the day, they're not, uh, hopefully they're not out just for self-fulfilling interest, right? They're, they're here creating the conditions. And what they have to be able to do is the executive is looking at a long, longer scale than most of our teams. 
they're also saying, how do I trust anything coming from the system? Not just the request and the desire and when the output is, but how do I know that it's directionally aligned with where we're going? And so how do I sense and respond? We, we talk a lot about this sensing and responding in the coaching models of coaching executives and OKRs is you have to figure out how to have a healthy relationship of smaller bets for better information for smaller bets for better information. And that we're creating that trusted system that I can delegate into and that it's up to the executive to establish that trusted system. So the OKRs is just one little piece of helping establish the trusted system. The bigger coaching here and the coaching of OKRs to executives is how do you really create a trusted system? Have you created the conditions of a system you can trust? Because nobody else is going to create that system, but you executives. And that's, that's one of those things that you can't just leave up to the team. Right. It's, it's um, almost irresponsible to leave up to the team. If you leave it up to the team, they're going to go uh, locally optimized against what their interpretations are. And so we're trying to remove levels of interpretation um, at the same time of creating clarity that's directionally aligned. Yeah. So we've been talking about this for a little while now, and um, there's two things that I want to kind of come back to before we close it out. One is about the leading agile approach with OKRs. Cause I mean, anybody could go out and pick up, you know, one of the books that, that talk about it. Um, but we're using this in a slightly different way. So can you comment on that? Like what about leading agile's approach with OKRs makes it unique? Yeah, there's two primary things we're doing. Um, and I think back to a, a reference I had of a maturity model, everything we've talked about, all the books, they're beautiful. They're great. They're going to be useful. Don't abandon it. Uh, go use them. They're better than nothing. And they're better than just setting a goal. The, I think the secret sauce we're bringing is the first secret sauce is how we connect it with our system of delivery. So we think about these objectives and you have executives that sit uh, maybe above the system of delivery or next to the system of delivery. And they're shaping that lens for the business. And what we're really focused on is how do we decompose those strategic and functional objectives and key results that we're going to measure on a quarterly basis into the prioritization of the backlogs that the teams are working towards. So we're really taking that impact map, we're taking those proto personas, we're taking all of those assumptions and saying, how do we actualize the key results through the system of delivery? And we also fully understand that the OKR is not exclusive to the system of delivery. And so what we're really focused on coaching is, hey, system of delivery, how can you build your impact map? How can you build your influence? How can you build your assumption basis to be as little as possible based off of the right learnings as quickly as possible to actualize in that? And so in some of our clients, we're instantiating what we're calling the investment tier, focused on what opportunities we're going to invest in. And then some clients were, were just instantiating up to what we call the portfolio tier. In both of those models, what we're focused on is saying, we have these objectives. How are we going to allocate our funds now to solving this problem? And if you structured your organization around products, or if you structured your organization around capability themes, or if you've structured them around skill-based teams, you're still making the choice of, we think that these skill-based teams get 33% of the investment to help us solve this. And these capability teams get 50% and you go through that allocation. But what we're really focused on is not holding these out to five-year, three-year, even one-year cycles. We're measuring and reallocating on a rolling basis with our clients to say, do you still want to invest in this objective or is there something else that's more important 
because we've learned something about this objective or we learned something about the objective that's now more important that to, to invest into and not thinking about that as throwaway work or sunk cost or really getting into the habit of coaching towards the objective of do you want to invest in the objective ahead regardless of how much you have invested into it historically? Is it still worth the money uh, or percentage of the pool of money? So that's kind of like that first thing we're really focused on is don't worry about the sunk cost. Don't try to do everything all at once. Don't try and do peanut butter spreading. How much money do we want to, what percentage of the pie do we want to invest in solving this objective? And if we don't solve this objective, do we have the assumption we won't be here tomorrow or next year because a competitor is going to eat us up? And that first part is is not an easy thing for people to let go of sunk cost or to get away from that peanut butter spreading thing because that's the way that they've done things for forever. And they yeah. have an emotional connection to that way of behaving. We have, and we've, we've gotten here that way, right? That's yeah. the, the, the funny thing behind all this is there's a book out there um, that I absolutely love and, you know, I'm going to misquote it and do all the things, but uh, what got us here, got us here. It won't get us there. And that's kind of this advanced coaching we're coming in with executives and OKRs and trusted system is you're right. What got you here has gotten you here, but we're going to help you get to where you need to go. And we're going to have to unlearn one of my favorite terms. We're going to have to unlearn some of the stuff we have learned to actually learn what's going to be the most effective way to get us to where we want to go tomorrow. I think you got the quote right. I just looked it up. What got you here won't get you there. Yeah, the quote is what got you here won't get you there. Um, That's the name of the book too by Marshall Goldsmith. It's such a good concept. It's been a while since I've read the book. And unfortunately, I'm a reader of way too many books to pull it out and be like, oh, it's such a valuable book. But conceptually, a phrase we use a lot with the executives when we're thinking about this OKR is, you're right, you didn't use them before, but we're going to help you understand how these could possibly be a better maturity model for you. That leads into the second thing we're doing differently with the OKRs. Um, And there's a lot of, um, if you're in the know of who's writing about these things, there's a lot of conversation going on right now of what's broken with the OKR model at scale. Okay. And one thing that we're really leaning into, if you look at our literature and our coaching, is we introduce the, the term outcomes. And so we have objectives and key results. And then when every time we write an objective and a key result, we say, if you actualize this objective, what are the desired outcomes? Because as we've learned to coach this, most of our executives, they want outcomes. And they want 10% revenue growth. They want 200 new logos. They want uh, $20 million worth of cost savings. That's what they want. And so they're out searching for the outcomes. And so as we coach this, we put the outcomes over here in the bucket on the side that said, that's what we're running towards. But our objective, why do you want those things? Why do you think you need to save $20 million? Why do you think you need to get 12% revenue growth versus 11% revenue growth? And if we're going to actualize all that, what's the actual objective? Because I can just go, I can have all of our employees, um, you know, bring a sack lunch and we can close the cafeteria and I can find her $20 million. Yeah. Or maybe we don't send a rocket to the moon. We just have people go over and take apart Russia's ability to try to get into space. That's right. It allows us to game the system if we treat the outcome as what we're focused on. And so we have to create some sort of purpose. And so we're thinking about the OKR model is, you know, what are your hypothesis outcomes? And then as we track over time, what are what have become our realized outcomes? And those don't uh, change the OKR framework. It's an addition or a bolt-on. So I'm, I'm going to introduce a term that, that I'm using as a placeholder right now, Dave. It's not 
you know, know that everything we're doing is also progressive elaboration. We're, we're evolving this with each one of our clients. But I'm at the place where we're doing OKRO. We are doing objectives and key results with outcomes. Okay. And that's kind of the, the progressive elaboration and the maturity model we're focused on. Um, you know, there's a couple other people out there talking about OKRs need a purpose statement. OKRs need a scaling statement. OKRs need a network statement. Uh, I think what we're settling on and the way we've been thinking about it is we have objectives, where we need to head, aspirational, purposeful, motivating. Right. Key results, the way we're going to measure our progress. That's the way we keep score. And then our outcomes that are broken into hypothesis when we write them and realized as we close it out. Cool. All right. Now, just to make sure we've, we've answered this question, the, 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 the podcast interview started with the idea of explaining how you teach this to executives. And you've commented on that a little bit. Is there anything else that people need to know about trying to help executives get their heads around these ideas. Anything else that you want to share? Any kind of parting words of advice? Anything we missed? Yeah. The parting word here for me will be if this resonates with you and you find value in it or you have been using it or functionally your team has been aligning around OKRs, know that you can't just go into the executive suite and say, these OKRs are really great. Let's use them. Because what we have to do is figure out how to connect the OKR to building a trusted system. Because for an executive team to leverage OKRs, we have to have a system they can delegate into. Without that, uh, it's a futile attempt to go do OKRs at the executive level. You might as well just stay at your desired outcomes or your goal setting or whatever current framework you have. Because without that trusted system that we can empower to create additional network objectives, we're going to just fall short or everybody in the system is just going to get really frustrated that they're still handcuffed and we're just calling it something different. All right. This was a fascinating conversation, man. I hope the people that are listening to it got as much out of it as I did. Um, you know, I hope they do as well, because if anything, it was a, another attempt and y- at the way we coach it. It's, it's fascinating to me that you, the title of this is coaching executives around OKRs. This is the conversation we actually have with it, with the executives. I mean, you almost could have recorded a four hour conversation we've been doing with some of our clients and it would sound just like this. We're not trying to use big words or change the content or do something different. It was this conversation. This is how we're coaching OKRs with them. This was great, man. So if people want to get in touch with you to, to dig into this more, what's the best way to reach you? Best way, uh, like most people, is through my Leading Agile email address. So it's okay. andrew.young at leadingagile.com. All right. Um, cool, man. Thank you very much. This is such a spectacular way to end the week. I really appreciate you taking time for this. No, Dave, thank you. It's, uh, it's always fun to practice my pitch. <laughs> <laughs>